live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show, with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich, and now, here's Jay. And good afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's another lovely day in the Pacific Northwest. Gorgeous, clear brew skies. Temperatures probably going to be up in the 90s today. It's going to be a little bit hot for us. But, of course, that's with the relative humidity of about 25% for those of you on the East Coast listening, uh, just to make you a little jealous. Nice breeze, about 20 miles an hour. Unfortunately, this kind of weather uh, is what we call a uh, uh, kind of an east wind event that we're coming into here uh, for the weekend where we're actually going to drive our temperatures up into triple digits. And with the wind out of the east, it gets really low relative humidities. And this is the, the, the really bad, bad weather for um, forest fires in Oregon. Uh, the east wind events are what drove the Tillamook burn and uh, the Oxbow Burn and a few others that basically, once they start, uh, the Pacific Ocean's where they stop. So a uh, little concerned about fire weather, so everybody please be careful out there with your uh, open flames, et cetera, uh, tobacco products, whatever. Um, Going to be dangerous over this weekend with, with uh, fire weather. So today on the Bozo Show, we're going to be talking trash. and. Uh, I've got a guest coming on, and I just want to let you know that you can get in on the conversation just by dialing 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my producer, know that you want to get in on the conversation, and she'll get you up in the queue. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net, and you can do that even between shows if you have questions or suggestions for a guest or a topic uh, or just want to tell me that I'm full of it. Um, just drop us an email. So my guest today is Dan Hurley, and Dan, um, welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Thank you, Commissioner. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. And Jay's just fine on the Bose Nose Show. You don't have to call me Commissioner. I, I, I know that you guys do that when we're in board meetings, and that's kind of one of those things, but we're not in Harris Hall, and, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting in, in, in my uh, command center here in beautiful downtown Elmira, so Jay is just fine. And right. Dan, what is your exact title with Wayne County? I'm the division manager for the Waste Management Division, which is a division of Public Works. And the Waste Management Division, you guys run um, a, a landfill and some transfer stations and a few other uh, things. Can you, can you kind of um, tell me a little bit first about you know, how did you, you know, what what's your background and how did you end up as the division manager of a solid waste system? Um, kind of a interesting path. I I grew up in the Eugene area and then I went off to West Point and I got my degree there as an environmental engineer. Um, that's what I wanted to do when I was in high school and found out that West Point had a program and uh, fell in love with the place. So I, I went off to West Point um left there with a commission in the Army, and I was an Army engineer for five years. Um, then I got out, went back to grad school at the University of Oregon in Environmental um, Studies, and then shortly thereafter I actually started with Lane County, and I've been with the county for about 11 years now. Oh, so I'm a pretty interesting. I'm a professional engineer, I'm certified, and I started with Lane County as an engineer at the landfill, and then had the opportunity to move up to management, and so now I manage the division. It's uh, actually the largest division of public works right now. We have over 100 employees, inc including part-time employees, and we're managing a, a, a large system of 16 transfer stations and one landfill. That's pretty interesting. I, I wasn't aware that you were a WUPU graduate. Um, yes. <laughs> I am yeah, my... Uh, Oh, is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my brother went there, uh, I think, in probably 1973 he went there, and I think he washed out in 1974. 
It is. He he actually went there on an athletic scholarship, and he kind of told him when he went that he wasn't really enamored with the idea of, of beating the Army, but it was uh, at the time he was actually on schedule to, to uh, train for the uh, Olympic uh, gymnastics team. Uh, he's a talented gymnast uh, at that time. Unfortunately, he got injured not too long after he left West Point and ended his gymnastics career. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But You've really got to want to be there. It, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. I, 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 we did get to go visit him that first summer. You know, at the end of the summer, the, the Cleve summer. I think they had Parents Weekend or something. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I got to go up there and visit. It's a pretty fascinating place to go. So I, that's pretty interesting that you're a graduate. It's not an easy thing to do to get in, and it's not an easy thing to finish. So that's quite an accomplishment. And thank, thank you, you for your service. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Learn something new. Didn't know that about your background. Yep. So, Lane County, um, under uh, state law, we are the uh, waste management authority, I guess, for our our waste shed. Is that what they call it? Correct. They divide up the state according to waste sheds, and that pretty much falls in line with the county boundaries. It, It does for Lane County. So we're responsible to have an effective, efficient, and uh, you know protective of an environment system uh, for managing solid waste for the county. Great, so, and, and we do that. You know, we we've been doing that with our 16 rural, well, I should say, 15 rural and one uh, urban in 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 Glenwood transfer stations, uh, the Short Mount landfill, and. Uh, and staff that that you know mans those transfer stations and and runs the landfill and and uh, drives the trucks back and forth, including the the, the liquors trucks that that pick up the uh, effluent from the, the landfill and drive it into um, the uh, to the sewer system here for treatment um, in town. So quite a few employees, like you said, our largest division. Um, talk about how that system's financed a little bit and then get into, you know, how we got kind of behind and, and why we had a need to um, either make some efficiencies or raise rates. Sure. So we've been in the news a lot lately on the financial issues. We've been trying to close, uh, started as a $3 million gap in our budget, and we started looking this, at this back in 2014 we found that we were running in the red, um, both operationally and also looking into the future for savings that we should be making for uh, future responsibilities for the landfill. And we got into this situation because we didn't raise fees in support of waste management for about seven years, and also just increasing costs of personnel, equipment, transportation. You know, we're, we're running a lot of trucks um, day in, day out, moving this waste across a county that's you know the size of Connecticut. We have transfer stations spread out all over the county from Florence in the west to McKenzie Bridge in the east and transporting by ourselves over 100,000 tons of waste and then garbage haulers are transporting 100,000 tons um, to bring that all to the landfill. So it's a big system and it's, it's an expensive system to maintain. We have about a $17 million budget to pay for all this and we're set up as an enterprise fund, meaning that we are self-funded by the fees that we generate. So we charge, we call them tipping fees. Um, we don't get tips, but that's just the industry term <laughs> um, for accepting solid waste. So when people bring their garbage to one of our transfer stations, they are assessed by the volume of that waste and are charged a fee. When garbage trucks come to our sites, they're weighed and assessed by uh, tonnage. So. Um, we found that our fees weren't sufficient to pay for all the services that we provide. And so we went to the board back in uh, 2014, and the board approved a pretty significant increase. It was about 12.7%, but it didn't completely close the gap. And so the board gave direction to look at some cost-cutting measures, and so we've been working through that with the board lately. Yeah, and that's, you know, a pretty good explanation. You know, one of the things um, 
financially some people might not know about running a, a um, landfill, um, there's some requirements as far as um, having to build capital up for a couple purposes. Can you talk a little bit about having to maintain a reserve for the closure and then also having to build up enough reserve to open the next cell and, and kind of describe that process of, of filling the landfill in cells? Sure. So landfilling is an expensive business. Um, and it's not just, you know, throwing garbage in a hole. <laughs> Some people just don't realize what goes into it. You know, way back in the, you know, 60s, there were landfills actually all over Lane County and small landfills, and they were dump and burn operations. But as environmental regulations came along in the 70s, um, things became more and more stringent on requirements for landfills. And so Lane County gradually closed all its landfills um, except for the Short Mountain landfill. Uh, we closed our last other landfill, which was in Florence in 1991. So we only have one, one landfill for the county, so all that waste is coming to one central location, which is about seven miles down. I-5 uh, south from Eugene. So when we construct, we call them a cell or a phase. Um, it's an area, a, a lined area to receive waste. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, it's a huge construction project. Our last full cell that we constructed was back in 2007, and that cost us about six and a half million dollars. And there's a lot that goes into it with the grading, the moving soil. We moved um, half a million cubic yards of soil in that project. We laid down over 100 acres of liner material. So this, this liner material is like thick plastic, and it, and it goes down in, in different layers um, at the bottom of this area. And it's designed to collect the wastewater, which we call leachate, um, to make sure that we're not contaminating groundwater. And so we need to save up money for these projects. So they don't happen very often. Our next one won't be until 2025. Uh, but right now, we're pretty much down to zero in the development budget that we need for that project. So we need to be putting about away about a million dollars between now and 2025 to be able to build that next area to receive waste. So that's the development side of things. Uh, we also keep separate funds for, we call it closure and post-closure. So these are requirements that are set up by the federal government and administered by the state that we have to have money set aside uh, for worst case scenario. If, the, if for some reason we had to close the landfill today, we have to show that we have money in the bank to be able to close the landfill. And so that means putting a plastic cap over it, um, that which gets sealed to the bottom plastic, so it's like one big Ziploc baggie um, of garbage. So that's... Um, there's several reasons for that. The, you know, two big ones are to prevent more water coming in, to, which generates that wastewater leachate, and also to capture the landfill gas. And so on top of that plastic cover, then they put two feet of soil, and that gets planted. Um, but that's an expensive project, too, to, to pay for the closure. We're actually looking pretty good in our closure account, but there's a third fund, and that's post-closure. So we have to have money saved up to be able to pay for the long-term care of the landfill for a minimum of 30 years. So even after the landfill closes, we have we will have financial obligations to continue to manage that wastewater and the landfill gas to maintain the cover and the property. And there have been landfills around the country that you know private landfills that have gone bankrupt and leave leave the taxpayers then holding the bag. And so these regulations are in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. So part of our yeah. financial problem is we don't have enough money to set, we didn't have enough money, we're looking better now for the future, um, to be able to put money aside for that development fund and that post-closure fund. Great. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great description. And I think people may not be aware of that, that requirement of, of these, these reserve funds that we have to um, build up and maintain because uh, when you get to the end of a, the life of a cell, you kind of have to have the next cell ready to go. You can't just, um, you know, stop everybody hauling garbage for for six months while you build the next cell. Right. So, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a little bit of a dance out there as you guys, you know, are finishing um, completion of filling a cell and you're 
constructing the next one um, and having to get the finances together. And, and, you know, of course, when you're constructing the cell, you'll spend down your reserves a whole lot in that year. Uh, and then you got to slowly build that back up for when the next cell um, is needed. And uh, just for the folks that are listening, uh, and again, if folks want to have a question about uh, the landfill or, or waste management system, they can call at 646-721-9887 and just press one if you want to ask a question. Um, yeah, what's the what's the lifespan of our landfill? Because I know that there are some counties and, and all that it's a real struggle to find a enough space for a landfill and also um, whether their landfills are, are really have any longevity to them and, and um, I know that you know when I first got to Lane County there wasn't really they were projecting short mountain wasn't going to last you know maybe to the end of my lifetime and now I probably won't ever see trash go anywhere what but short mountain but talk a little bit about um, our landfills life expectancy and just the, the good place at least Lane County is right now. We're very fortunate with our landfill. We have a lot of capacity. Um, we need to do another estimate to update that, but we're looking at more than 100 years of life left at the landfill based on um, current, current garbage generation rates and, and population growth. The landfill started back in 1976 and the large open field. It used to actually be the Oregon International Raceway. There was a racetrack that went around, and that's actually kind of our most of our perimeter road that goes around the landfill. Um, but we have a lot of space there. But when they sited the landfill in 76, they estimated that it w would have closed actually a couple years ago. Uh, but we've been able to permit more uh, footprint to be able to expand. We've also done a lot of work on taking things out of the waste stream like yard debris, uh, recycling uh, to make that airspace, we call it, last longer. Uh, we also do a lot of work to smash the garbage down. We have two 60-ton compactors, landfill compactors. These are you know, huge uh, bulldozers-looking things with huge wheels um, that smash the garbage down and make that take up less space. And so we've, we've improved that. We continue to improve that over the years. Um, it's, it's pretty high-end technology now. Those machines cost about a million dollars each. Um, they're equipped with GPS systems to make sure that they've compacted all of the areas that receive new waste throughout the day. Um, there's quite a bit that goes into just the operation of the landfill. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I can... So, so if you're, you're in one of these 60-ton these or whatever they are, compactors, you get a little voice that says, Turn left now. <laughs> it's a little different than that. Um, it's actually they have a, a screen um, that has a picture of the the waste uh, from like a top view, and the operator's job is to paint that screen. Um, it goes from red to green, so uh, red, yellow, green. So as the new waste comes in, it's red, and they need to get out there to where it's been pushed and run over it five times will turn it to green. So they're, they're continually painting this picture to try to get the whole thing green. Um, wow. But we're looking at, in great shape for the landfill, you know, over 100 years. It's a, it's a big resource, and, and the board may want to consider um, taking waste from out of county at some point um, to capitalize on that if, if we wanted to, to generate money to do something else with our waste. Um, but it's, it's a big resource, I would say, um, it will be very difficult for the county to, to site a landfill in the future. Um, there's the NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. Nobody wants a landfill near them. Um, so it's hard to find a place. And actually, our landfill wouldn't be allowed if it was permitted now. It, it would be too close to the freeway, and it's surrounded by wetlands. And those are two, two things that prevent landfills from being sited in the current regulations. Oh, fascinating. Um, so you, you mentioned that one of the ways we've extended the life of this is we've diverted a lot of uh, the waste stream out of the landfill. Um, the state has some mandates about that, uh, you know, these waste production um, targets and all that, uh, and that's set by the Department of Environmental Quality at the state level. What is the current 
uh, waste production mandate, and how is Wayne County doing relative to our targets that are that are mandated? Things have changed quite a bit in, in recent years. So last year, the state passed a couple new pieces of, of legislation. One addressed fees. Uh, the DEQ was underfunded for their solid waste program, and so they uh, raised the fee that they charged to landfills. They hadn't raised their fees for, I think, 17 years um, or somewhere thereabouts. Um, the other piece was around the recycling rules. And so the way it used to be is uh, all the waste sheds had to achieve a, I think it was 54% recovery rate. And a recovery rate is the amount of uh, materials that get re that get recycled or recovered. So it's the, the recovered amount divided by total waste generation. And so, um, and they also had some additional credits that you could get um, if you had programs in place for waste reduction and composting, they would kind of add, add a bonus to what your calculated recovery rate was. And so we, we got as high as uh, 62 point something, close to 63% uh, as our recovery rate with those additional credits. There was a 6% additional that we um, claimed credit for. Um, so with the new legislation, they've gone away from having a mandate. So we're not mandated for a recovery rate anymore. We are mandated to have recycling programs, and we can talk a little more about that. Um, but we're not um, held to that mandate anymore. We've developed an aspirational goal to try to get back up to 63%. Right now we're at about 51% um, without those credits. So they took away those, they call them the 2% credits, um, to, so it's an actual amount of recovery without those additional programs. It's a little complicated. Um, but our, our goal is to get back up there to a, around a 63% recovery rate by 2025. Well, that's pretty impressive, though, that we divert more than half of the waste we generate doesn't go to landfill. Um, and that that's kind of part of, you know, your staff of 100. Part of your staff is tasked with um, educating people about what can be recycled and, and um, Running the you know the recycling programs. Um, talk a little bit you know because one of the things I think people don't realize is the recycling program. You know it used to actually when it first started generate money for the county solid waste system and now it's actually costing us money. Talk a little bit about just that whole um, you know, how much it actually costs for us to have a, a, a recycling program. Sure. Things have changed a lot in recent years in the recycling markets. There, um, there's a global crash in the recycling markets, and that's primarily around uh, China. China, their economy has slowed down. They put in um, new regulations that uh, prohibited certain types of recycling to come in. Uh, they were getting pretty dirty streams and wanted to clean up their environment. Um, and there was just a global global slowdown with the you know 2000 crash here in the United States and then globally. Our recycling program total costs about $1.5 million. Um, we, we receive recycling revenue, um, but it doesn't make up the difference. I, I don't have that number in front of me, what the, what the gap is. But um, yes, recyclable materials, we used to get paid for most of our, our streams, um, so we collect about 25 different types of, of recyclables. And current markets, we get paid for our cardboard and metal, but most everything else, we're paying to dispose of that. Uh, we went from, we also transitioned to co-mingle recycling for efficiency. So at our transfer stations, we used to, they call it source separate. We'd, we'd have the customers put everything into different bins, even by color of glass. And we've gone away from that. Um, to co-mingle recycling, which is more what people experience that have um, urban curbside service. So everything kind of goes in one bin. And when we started the co-mingle, we were paid um, about $40, uh, $40 a ton, and now we're paying, uh, I think, close to 30 or 35 to get rid of the material or to get it to market. Um, so the economics around recycling have changed a lot. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be recycling. There are a lot of great reasons to continue recycling. 
um, and it's still cheaper than disposal. Um, but there are other benefits of environmental reasons, um, job creation reasons for those recycled materials, but uh, definitely the economics has changed recently. Yeah. Good. That, that kind of sets up a little bit of, you know, people ask, you know, how could we get to the point where we have a, a million and a half a year shortfall in our system? And that's just one of the factors, and that is, you know, we've gone from a recycling system that used to generate revenue to one that actually we have to pay to to, to deal with those materials. Um, so we kind of have walked people through the system a little bit and some of the finances. It's kind of a standalone um, fund in, in the county's budget uh, that's self-financing and why we need to start building up the, this was the next cell. So we got to the point uh, the board did that we we kind of split the baby back in 2014 and gave you an increase in your tipping fees. And again, uh, you know, like you said, that's that's what we charge when people dump trash. That's you know, tipping the dump truck, not not uh, or tipping the garbage truck, not um, tipping the people that are collecting. <laughs> so that that term. Uh, it might confuse some people, but that we raised the tipping fees at only about half of what the gap was, and we asked you guys to go out and look at how could we maybe close the rest of the gap with some cost efficiencies, because we've been doing that a lot with Lane County's budget, uh, you know, whether it's changes in some of our benefits programs or going to being self-insured. We've been looking at ways to, to reduce costs rather than increase um, revenue um, to close a lot of budget gaps. And we kind of tasked the waste management system to do the same thing. So you all kind of um, embarked on what I would call a, a three-phase um, plan that's, that's ongoing. And the first phase of that was to do this uh, assessment and look for these efficiencies. And we brought in an outside consultant um, that you guys uh, you know, did an RFP, brought in this group based on their qualifications, R3 Consulting Group, and they specifically um, look for, you know, what are ways Lane County can save money in their system. Uh, and that report came out, um, the draft report, I guess, somewhere uh, this last winter. We shared it with some of the um, commercial haulers and the stakeholders group, and that's when um, one of the commercial haulers chose to send a note out to their um, customers, you know, claiming that we were getting ready to do something that was going to cost them a lot of money um, and kind of jumped the gun a bit. And that's what started all the news reports. But that report was basically just an assessment and a bunch of recommendations, no, not real decisions. But can you walk maybe through the uh, the recommendations from R3, it's kind of, they're in three major areas. And uh, one of the areas didn't change anything, you know, whether you were one of the people that hauled, you know, your own pickup truck to one of our rural transfer stations and transferred there, or whether you had curbside service, a third of their cost savings that they recommended, the customers of, you know, the actual citizens probably won't even know we, we made those changes. So can you kind of walk through the, the R3 recommend, the three areas they recommended and, and some of the, the recommendations? Sure. So the consultants R3, they were charged with coming up with about a million and a half that we could close that gap, $1.5 million. They actually um, recommended 1.8. There's an additional 200,000 they recommended for um, eliminating some discounts, which we ended up not considering. But um, looking at the 1.5 million, yes, it was roughly broken into about thirds. And so let me speak to them one at a time. So the first third, uh, just about a half a million, uh, there were recommendations to implement operational changes for efficiency out at the Short Mountain landfill. So they had great ideas about reducing the hours uh, for our equipment, for our dozer and our compactors. Um, and doing things a little bit differently with um, the placement of the waste and ways to try to reduce the amount of leachate, the, the wastewater that the landfill generates. And so we're moving forward with those. 
And so we should be able to realize that half a million savings uh, through those recommendations. One of the consultants that was on the team there, uh, his name is Neil Bolton, and he literally wrote the book about landfill operations. There's, there's a book um, that he wrote by that title, which is sort of the Bible in the landfill industry. Um, so we were very fortunate to have somebody of that caliber to bring those insightful recommendations uh, to the landfill for us. So um, the amount that we saved there, you know, well pays for the, the study that we did. The study cost about 70000 um, to date. So um, the second third is their recommendation was to close eight transfer stations. So they looked at our system and compared it to other systems around the state, and they found that Lane County has more transfer stations per square mile than any other county in the state, and, and by a significant margin. They found that the statewide average is about 1,000 square miles per transfer station, and we are clear up at 285. And so they said if we closed eight of our smallest transfer stations, we would still only drop to number three uh, of all lane all of all counties in the state. So that's still pretty good service as far as um, the density of transfer stations. So that was the recommendation. Um, and again, I want I want to point out that the charge for the consultants was to identify cost savings and just that the economic piece of it. Their their job was not to look at all the political impacts and the environmental impacts. These were just to bring. Um, economic numbers to us for um, options to consider. Um, the final third uh, would be sending the commercial garbage trucks directly to the landfill and, and excluding them from the Glenwood transfer station. So Glenwood is our major transfer station. It's the hub of the operation. It's centered between Eugene and Springfield and receives the largest amount of the waste that we transfer. And when this facility was built, um, so it's only seven miles from the landfill, which is very close proximity in, in the solid waste world, um, it doesn't make sense economically. Um, when this facility was built, Glenwood, they were both built in 1976, the intent was that the waste coming into the Glenwood transfer station would be ground up and pelletized and used as a fuel. And that project didn't work out so well, but I, I tell you that because the intent wasn't to transfer it seven miles to the landfill. The intent was for it would go out as a fuel. Um, but that's how it played out over the years, and it just isn't, um, it isn't efficient on an economic scale to have the transportation so close to the landfill. And so what, they recommended what, to what send the garbage truck. Yeah. Yeah, what's the typical distance where it does start to make sense to have a transfer station? Because, you know, one of the things, you, you know, the garbage trucks come in, they're compacted, but, you know, they're they're not huge trucks because they got to negotiate neighborhood streets. Um, yeah. And then they, in a transfer station, they, they dump their load, it becomes uncompacted, and then, then it gets loaded in a larger um, semi-trailer type truck that it's compacted into. And you get, what, about two and a half, three, uh, um, you know, residential garbage trucks into one of these larger semi-trailers compaction-wise. But, of course, there's a lot of energy in uncompacting and recompacting that and, and then the drive time down there. What, what distance does it start making sense to actually transfer from the neighborhood garbage truck into these larger uh, semi-trailers? So the... The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has done some work around this, and a general rule of thumb is about a 35-mile round trip. And of course, there's local factors to consider, but um, that's more than half, you know, more than double what the, the distance is for ours. So, you know, I had a lot of people that wrote in and, and called about this issue, and, you know, they said, you idiots, you know, that's the whole purpose of a transfer station, uh, and it doesn't make sense to, to have them do that. But I tried to tell people, well, you know, clearly it wouldn't make sense if it was if they were within one mile. Nobody would, would take the compacted waste and uncompact it and recompact it to drive it a mile down the road. So think about that. You know, there's some point where it clearly doesn't make sense. Um, according to the EPA, it makes sense at about a 35-mile round trip. And right now we're looking at about a 14-mile round trip. Yeah. So, yeah, basically you'd have to be 17 and a half miles 
from the, the, the landfill to the transfer station to start making sense to uncompact and recompact loads and have it actually work out um, as a cost savings uh, versus for the overall system. Now, one of the things that is true is right now that cost of of recompacting the loads and driving them the seven miles is in the county side of the system. And when we make this change and, and the commercial haulers have to drive this, the extra seven miles, that's going to be on the commercial haulers side of the system that the cost is going to get borne. So it does move the cost around, but either way, we would have to increase our rates in an equal amount somewhere, um, whoever's paying for that curbside uh, garbage service would pay for it either way. It's just where it actually gets born in the system. But it, it, most of the studies show that um, unless the commercial haulers are hauling um, more than 17 miles, it doesn't really make sense to, to set up a transfer station. So I, I, I didn't know that history of the Glenwood transfer station that was going to make pelletized fuel. Um, yeah, that's kind of an interesting history. Um, so the so the legend goes there was a propane tank that uh, was ground up in that process and exploded and sent debris clear to I-5. But uh, before my time, I'm not sure <laughs> how accurate that story is. But that's the story that's told that killed the project. Yeah. Well, um, but that's a great point. Yeah, so it's a transferring of cost, but looking at it from a system-wide perspective, it should be cheaper um, for the c commercial haulers to do that work than to, for the Lane County to, to do that in, in sort of an inefficient way of uh, uncompacting and recompacting and doing all that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I can kind of, you know, I, w I was in college in 1976, showing my age a little bit, and we were on odd even days for gasoline about then. Um, and the idea of grinding garbage up and pelletizing it and burning it for electricity instead of burning gasoline or oil or other um, fossil fuels probably sounded really appealing back then. Yeah. Because we were, yeah, we yeah were that was the whole it was pretty yeah. common, you know, a, a thing that people have tried. There, there have been a, a few of these uh, attempts and busts in the in the waste management industry. Um, there, there's always the hope for new technology, um, but there are some promising things emerging now um, with uh, some waste processing facilities, and uh, we'll be exploring those when we move into the phase two of this project. Um, yeah. So this this was the phase one to look at um, cost saving options, and so we brought those options to the board for consideration. Uh, we also went out um, and, and talked to the public. We went, we did four public input sessions. We went to Walton and um, Upriver, uh, Rainbow and McKenzie Bridge, um, Crestwell, and then we had a session in Eugene Springfield area. Yeah, and, so, and we also got what, 200 emails and, and um, I can't remember how many people spoke uh, about the solid waste system in, in the public comment period for board meetings, including this morning's. Um, but we got a lot of public input that we gathered, yeah. and staff took notes in all those public meetings and also, also um, kind of gathered all the emails and gave us a complete, the board, a complete summary of what that input was, which was, you know, useful in, in our decision-making process. Yeah. But, but like you said, the, the phase one charge for the consultant was purely to look at the economics, not right. to look at um, some of the other uh, considerations that citizens brought to us, which is part of what the board balanced this morning in, in our decision-making process of, you know, what are the values for Lane County? Um, and, and what are the other impacts if we do close rural transfer stations or if we don't, you know, if we do exclude um, commercial haulers from Glenwood and balancing all those issues. And uh, I think the board came to some pretty good decisions this morning based on public input uh, that balanced all these things and ended up, you know, doing a combination because we could have just in 2014 um, done about a 25% tipping fee increase and been done with it. 
and did none of this cost savings you know, examination. Uh, but what we chose to do today was a combination of increasing some fees, and um, we, we did decide to exclude the commercial haulers from the Glenwood Transfer Station, but we were not going to increase the tipping fees if you're tipping at the landfill. So there'll actually be, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of our other transfer stations that are further away that are past that 35-mile round trip like Florence where commercial haulers tip, and they're actually going to get an increase in their um, per ton fees, but that inc this is all going to be on the, the uh, Glenwood transfer station change, and the um, general fee increases will, won't take effect till next July. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's one of those, you know, the, the other issues we want to try and maybe implement a little bit sooner, which is uh, instead of closing the transfer stations like was recommended, we're only going to close one, and that's the Mapleton station, um, and it's the least utilized station. And, and one of the things that came through in some of the public testimony was one of the reasons people don't use it that much is it's on a curve in Highway 126 that people aren't real comfortable pulling in and out of with a with a trailer full of trash <laughs> or a pickup truck full of trash. Um, so that, you know, that's why we only get like 10 paying customers per week at that, that, that transfer site. So, and it's also in the middle of three other transfer sites. It's probably the, the one transfer site that serves the least amount of people and is closest to a bunch of other transfer sites. So that, that's the, Instead of closing eight, we're only going to close one transfer station. We're going to change some hours around on some other ones. And then we're going to increase the fees for those folks that are, are bringing um, the, the trash to these places, the, the, what we call the self-haul rates, um, that are the, the per volume fees. Uh, and that was one of the things we heard in the public testimony was Folks came to us and said, we're willing to pay more to keep that convenience that we have. And, you know, Lane County is the most convenient county to get rid of trash because the transfer stations are close to people uh, and, and open more than other transfer stations and everything else. But they, it was more important for them to have convenience and pay a little bit more than it was for us to save the money by closing that down and being a little less convenient, still more convenient than 33 other counties in the state, um, but you know that was basically what the, the board uh, voted, directed staff to go back. And of course, you know all this has to be done as changes to uh, our lane manual when we have fee changes and all that. Um, so staff's got to go back and actually prepare the board orders doing that. So there's still another opportunity for the public to weigh in at that board meeting, um, and. Uh, so it, it's not quite done yet, but all we did today was we we approved a motion directing staff to the, to take these um, five additional cost savings because you're already doing uh, much of the you either implemented or in the process of implementing the half million dollars worth of changes out of the landfill. This was about the other million dollars, and um, I think uh, it's really. Uh, was interesting to, to go through all the, the public comment. I would have never guessed um, without going through the public outreach process that people were, it was more important for them to have the convenience of 16 or 16 transfer stations around the whole county and they'd rather pay more than trying to do efficiencies in the system and closing down some of the, the, the more costly transfer stations. I, I, I try and think about this as what if we had done it the other way around and the proposal had been, we're just going to raise the rates of the residential folks at self-haul um, higher than the rest of our rate increases because right now those, those transfer stations are losing money. And I wonder what the reaction would have been if that was the way it was presented. Uh, instead, um, they came to us and said, we're willing to pay more. And, and we actually had people thanking us after the meeting for raising 
the uh, self haul rates out in the rural areas. Um, could never imagine that. But um, so we've kind of wrapped up this phase one now with this direction. Um, and I want to thank you, Dan. Um, people probably aren't aware of how much work you did during this process in the community outreach, uh, answering folks' questions. You're, you're on the radio with me now. Uh, and if anyone has a question for Dan, they can call at 646-721-9887. Uh, just press one if you want to get in here. Um, but you know, he attended all these public meetings. Uh, and at the same time, our uh, public works director for Lane County retired uh, a few months back. And Dan not only was the division manager for waste management during all this turmoil and, and, and public outreach, but he was the interim public works director at the same time, which, uh, yeah, which that, yeah. that ends on Wednesday. Um, but I, I'm say I, I would say I'm very pleased with how this evolved. I, it developed some great dialogue, and we got to understand uh, the community's values more. Uh, people were really concerned about the environmental um, effects of closing transfer stations, that it would lead to more uh, legal dumping, and and that they were willing to pay higher fees to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. So, um, I think we learned a lot back and forth in the process uh, for the public and for myself. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just the illegal dumping. People were worried about, you know, burn barrels and, and uh, brush piles becoming um, incineration piles and a lot of illegal stuff being burned in some of those outdoor burning uh, out, out in the rural areas versus not, as well as, you know, folks just driving out some forest road and throwing their bags out the back of their uh, pickup truck as they drive along. Um, so it's uh, it, it it seemed like a good compromise. It was very interesting that it truly um, the public basically said we value making it convenient so we don't have those problems out in rural areas um, over the, the the value of we want to pay less. And uh, it, it was interesting to hear that 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 input from the public and I think you know you and the staff at waste management did a great job of gathering and and that public input and, and reaching out to the public. Our public information officer Devin Ashbridge also did a yeoman's job in helping with that. And uh of course the county administrator was there steering it. But you know at the same time you you got some extra duties there when you ended up uh, interim public works director in the middle of all this. So I, I really want to appreciate the hard work you put in through this whole effort. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So we're moving on to phase phase two of this, and I wanted to spend spend a few minutes talking about phase two um, because I think that's almost the more exciting part about this whole thing because phase one was basically correcting an existing issue uh, and getting ready for something that's not that far away, 2021, you know, the World Games will be here in 2021 or so. Uh, 2025 is not that far behind it to have a new cell ready. So we've kind of done a very short-term fix to our system um, to kind of balance the books, so to speak. But phase two is a, a much more um, uh, further out aspirational look about what, what do we want our system to look like 20 years from now? Talk a little bit about how that's starting to roll out, because I, I, you know, that's the next phase our consultants helping us with, and I think there's even some uh, meetings coming up in September on that. Uh, so, tell me about yeah. the uh, solid waste master plan. Sure. So, phase two of the project, we'll be using the same consulting team. They understand our system well, and they have a lot of experience in developing these master plans. So, um, Lane County's solid waste program was. Um, had a solid waste management plan uh, that's about 13 years old, and we've accomplished most of those things in that plan, and we're ready to look forward um, how we want to manage our system moving into the future. And so we're looking more broadly. We're going to develop a regional plan that involves our um, public involves public input, but involves our municipal partners, our um, industry stakeholders to develop uh, a future-looking plan. 
uh, out to 2030 and beyond. And so we're going to be looking for a lot of public input on people, how people want our systems to be developed, um, how we'll try to achieve those recovery rates that we're shooting for. And so, yes, we'll have some meetings, uh, looks like September 19th, 20th, and 21st. On the 19th, there will be one in Eugene at 6 p.m. On the 20th, there will be one in Florence at 6 p.m. And then Cresswell will be on the 21st, also at 6 p.m. So we'll get some notices out to that. We'll, we're also asking for people to participate in a survey, a short survey, monkey survey, um, so that we can get some input in advance of those meetings. So we'll be working with the consultant to develop that, and it's pretty exciting um, to be able to um, you know, fix the current issues and then start looking beyond. There, there are other, system, other ways of managing waste throughout the country. I'm proud of wh where we are right now. Um, as we talked about earlier, we, we recover more than half of the, of the waste. Um, but we have a, a, a long way to go to try to, to reach higher. There are systems down in California that are achieving close to 90% now, so it would be great to get, if we could get there. Yeah, I, I was uh, one of the folks that, that emailed uh, emailed about the Berkeley area system, where their 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 goal is zero waste, basically, where they're recovering 100% of their waste system, or, or either reducing it going into the system in the first place, or recovering it and, and reusing and, and recycling. Yeah, zero zero waste. The term zero waste is sort of a movement in the in the solid waste industry to always be striving for for zero waste. Uh, you know, we may not get there, and the cost to recover that last bit, you know, maybe uh, not worth it on on the the grand scheme. But it's a, it's more of an aspirational target. So I'm hoping yeah. that we'll have conversations with the public and the board to get on on board with some of those concepts around zero waste. Yeah. Well, when you think about it. Um, if we can even go from you know 50% uh, diversion and recovery right now to 75%, you know a 50% increase in our diversion rate, that'll take our landfill lifespan from 100 years to 200 years. Right. Um, so there there is a, a a real good reason for trying to get to that point because, uh, like you said, it's nearly impossible to permit a new landfill. Um, so as we can try and deal with that, and at the same time, you know, we've got a 1% population growth rate in Lane County uh, that's going to, on average, stay there for the next century. Um, you know, waste is generally a per capita generation. So the, the, the bigger the population gets in Lane County, the more waste they'll generate and the more need to try and divert some of that. But like you said, there's we, we got to start looking at how we want to pay for that system. Um, what kind of what what waste do we want to concentrate on trying to get out of the waste stream? Uh, what's most important? You know, we've got some pretty interesting um, nonprofit partners in that diversion process right now. Um, St. Vincent de Paul has been a, an awesome partner in everything from taking styrofoam, uh, which is I love personally. I, I, you know, get a lot of uh, stuff packaged in styrofoam, and I now put it in big, uh, you know, leaf bags, you know, and bring it to St. Vinny's rather than putting it in my trash can. It saves a whole lot of room, particularly at Christmas time. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, they, they also do mattresses, I think, and then we got. Um, Next step, doing electronics recycling, and we got Bring that's, you know, doing, uh, you know, you name it. You you go you go to Bring and you can buy everything from from uh, uh, windows and, and frames and everything that you can put into a house to um, uh, sinks and, and plumbing fixtures. So it's pretty pretty uh, pretty interesting. Some of our our innovative partners in the nonprofit sector. Um, and they're generating employment with that at the same time. Uh, but where do we go from here? You know, where, what's the next thing? Is it food waste? Is it um, some other piece of the waste stream we're trying to pull out of the landfill? Yeah. Yeah, we're very fortunate to have strong partners that are doing some pretty progressive things. 
Um, you mentioned you mentioned you know the big ones, but yeah, the, like the mattress program for St. Vincent de Paul is a pretty interesting program. You know those mattresses don't compress well in the landfill and they take up a lot of space and the springs get wrapped around our equipment. So it's great to keep those out. So they they tear down those mattresses. Um, the fluff goes to dog beds and then the frames are remade into new mattresses. And it's great to see things like that in our community, and we'll try to build on those partnerships as we move forward. Um, Another, I've lost train of thought, though. <laughs> uh, that's all right. So, you know, is there anything that, you know, in particular that you think they'll be looking at that that phase two master plan that, that um, the public might, you know, want to really, you know, there's going to be some interesting choices for the public. You know, is it is there... If we if we try and get to an 80% diversion, is there a, you know as we get closer and closer to 100%, does it mean that that tipping rates might start creeping up and up and up, and and your um, uh, curbside pickup you know monthly bill is going to go up and up and up? And, you know, is that kind of the balance and where we kind of need to hear from the public on on where we want to try and set some of those those balances, or is there um, other issues that they might be be considering um, in, in this master plan. Yeah, there'll be uh, several things to consider. Um, you know, where we want to focus. You, you mentioned food food waste. Um, so the city of Eugene is starting a pilot program on food waste. That's that's one of the bigger ones that um, the DEQ is encouraging folks to go after. So food waste still represents a pretty large percentage of our waste, uh, close to about 15 percent. And when that food waste breaks down in the landfill, it's it's a big uh, emitter of methane, which is a harmful greenhouse gas. And so, um, developing programs around that, if the community is interested, um, other programs like for carpet, um, that's that's a high energy material that the DQ would like to see us uh, focus on. Um, but then, kind of bigger picture, if the community is interested in developing other types of systems, so. Uh, I, I talked about the systems down in California. Um, there are a couple in there now that utilize equipment, sorting equipment, to process the waste. So they take garbage coming in and then send it through, you know, a huge machine basically, of, of, uh, mostly automated but also hand sorting um, to pull out as much material as we can to recover. Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily means that, that that tipping fees need to go up and up to and to support that. When we get to the rates where we're we're at right now, it can those things can pencil, um, even with the crash of the rec the recycling markets. Um, I think we could get there, and it, it's whether the county wants to embark on something like that to try to get outside investors to um, contribute to a facility of that nature and what the arrangement of that should be. Um, should that be a private facility? Should it be a county facility? Uh, lots of different things to consider. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, one of the things the master plan could, you know, folks want to go that direction, we need to then um, find the capital to build those systems, which, right. um, you know, just, just like another cell in, in the landfill, um, the money's got to come from somewhere, whether it's uh, outside investors that we try and partner with and, and do a public-private partnership, or whether we have to build that through uh, tipping fees. Um, you know, if, if we're going to build, you know, we've, we've got a great um, private sector company here in Eugene called Bulk Handling Systems um, that actually builds the equipment for doing that 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 sorting of. The so. We got about um, a minute left in the show here, Dan. Um, is there something we we didn't cover today, or something you want to tell people about um, the Lane County's waste management system? I think we covered a great deal today. Um, but if people want to learn more, uh, they they can reach us through through our website. It's probably the easiest if they have questions. There's also ways to learn more about our system. We have our master recycler program. We're about to start up another class of that if people are interested. And it's a in very interesting eight-week course where we bring in people from all around the industry to teach people about the waste system. We're all gonna, also going to work to do an open house at the landfill. Uh, we don't have a date for that yet, but we would invite people to come out and, and see the operation. Most people walk away from that pretty impressed with what we have going on out there. Well, great, Dan. I want to thank you for being my guest today. And uh, we'll 
wrap up this episode of the Bose News Show. And hopefully everybody will have a great day and they learn something about solid waste today. And we'll talk to you until next week from beautiful downtown Elmira. This has been Jay Bozovich. And good night from the Bose News Show. <laughs>